welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today um, we have a really great show in store for you. I'm really excited to uh, have the the guests that I have today, and just a little background um, about... You know, to, so today's show, we're going to be talking about meditation and kind of how meditation affects the brain and maybe how as therapists, as physical therapists or people working with, you know, people in pain or people with problems, anxiety, stress, all that stuff, how maybe meditation can help. And I went to see this woman uh, at speak at the Tibet Center a couple of months ago and I walked in, the place was packed. You know, a room that holds 100 had like 200. And I was struck by how cool she was and by how, you know, incredibly informed, but just very relaxed yet intense and cool and interesting and wonderful to listen to. And I thought to myself, wow, I'd really love to be able to interview her. And so I sent... Uh, a tweet out about it, and then she tweet, tweeted back. Long story short, I'm so happy to have on the show today Sharon Salzberg. She is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. She has been a student of meditation since 1971, guiding meditation retreats worldwide since 1974. Her latest book is a New York Times bestseller, Real Happiness, The Power of Meditation, a 28-day program published by Workman Publishing. She is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and is also the author of several other books, including The Force of Kindness, which came out in 2005, Faith, Trusting Your Own Deepest Experience from 2002, and Loving Kindness, The Revolutionary Act of Happiness from 1995. And if you want more information about Sharon, you can go to www.sharonsalzberg.com. Dot com. So, Sharon, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on the show today. No, it's a great delight. Thank and you. Sure, sure. So, like I said, I saw you at the Tibet House a couple of months ago, and, you know, I am sort of new to the whole meditation uh, practice. And after I went to hear you speak and you guided us through some meditations, there is one thing that you said, and we'll sort of get into it because I think a lot of people have this the same problem, but one thing that you said during the uh, guided meditation, during the lecture part of it that stuck with me was, you know, you're going to wander off a thousand times and you just always come back. And I used to think, well, if I'm wandering off and I'm doing it wrong, so oh, I'm just terrible at meditating when, when I know that that's really not the case. Um, and, and we're certainly going to talk about that in a little bit. But um, to start off, what, what I think I'd like to know and what a lot of the listeners would like to know is how did you, so you've been a student of meditation since 1971, so how did you get introduced to meditation? Well, I went to India in 1970. It was, it was kind of like my junior year abroad. I mm-hmm. Uh, was part of an independent study program at the State University of New York at Buffalo. And uh, in the program, you could go anywhere for a year if they approved of your project and study anything with the idea that you'd come back for your final year. And um, so I created a project. I said, mm-hmm. I want to go to India and study meditation. The, the yearning came uh, in part from an Asian philosophy course I'd taken as a sophomore. It was Quite honestly, looking back, I think it was almost like happenstance. Like mm. I needed a philosophy course. Uh, 
it was a requirement. I mm-hmm. looked at the schedule, and I thought, hey, look, that's on Tuesday. That's convenient. Let me do that. <laughs> and the course totally changed my life. Sure. It, it was out of that understanding that there were some tools. I don't know what they were, but I heard that they existed. There were some practical, pragmatic tools that anybody could use if they wanted to actually affect their own minds and their level of happiness. So I created the project, and off I went. Mm-hmm. And how long, so you spent a full year in India. What was it like, so had, had, you, ha- had you meditated at all before going to India? I had not meditated, and I had not traveled before uh-huh. going to India. I Whoa. was 18, actually. And so when you got there, what was your experience like? And what was it? Because, you know, I feel like a lot of people may have traveled to India, may have meditated, and came back, and it didn't stick. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what was it that, what was your experience when you first got there, and what was it in you that you felt like it stuck, that, that, that it stuck? Well, I think, first of all, it, it wasn't a casual yearning. I'd come from a very uh, fractured childhood. I was very deeply unhappy. Um, the yearning to to learn meditation was something that was was incredibly deep and instinctive. I just thought, if I could learn this, it could really help me. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, when I went, when I created the project, it was from that place. It wasn't a casual interest. And, but one of the obstacles I had in a way was that I wanted something extremely practical. I wasn't interested in the philosophy, certainly not in adopting a belief system, Mm -hmm. in calling myself a Buddhist or Hindu or rejecting anything else. I wanted to know what tools I might use in a very practical way. So it took a while. When I first got to India, I didn't actually know where to go. So I wandered around looking for just that kind of situation. And when I finally found it, which I did, uh-huh. it was uh, in the context of an intensive 10-day retreat. That was January 1971. Mm-hmm. And I walked into that compound, that monastery, never having meditated before for one single second. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that was it. And then a 10-day intensive. And I love when you, when I saw you at the Tibet house, you said you got there and you sat down and they said, okay, we're going to breathe. And you thought, well, I could breathe in Buffalo. <laughs> like, why did I have to go to India to breathe? That, that was exactly my reaction. I yeah. thought, really? I thought, you know, where's the magical, esoteric, fantastic technique that I came all the way to India for? And then I thought, huh. How hard can this be? And uh-huh. I was like, whoa, it wasn't that easy. Right, right. And, and you know, you've obviously had a lot of, you know, on, on your website, SharonSalzberg.com, you, you have on there a lot of the people who have influenced you. And, you know, now you're obviously influencing, let's say, a new generation or a new group of people. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of speak to the people that have influenced you and, and how you've taken those teachings and, and really incorporated it into what you do? Well, one of each of those, those teachers has had a profound effect on me, and I'm, I'm tremendously grateful to all of them. One of the most important was this woman named Deepama, which is kind of a nickname. It means mm-hmm. Deepa's mother. Mm-hmm. And Deepama was uh, kind of a woman of her generation. She'd been placed into an arranged marriage when she was about 12 years old. 
And then she and her husband fell deeply in love, which, of course, was not always the case. Mm -hmm. Then they uh, didn't have children for about 18 years, which was a source of tremendous strife and struggle in the in the larger more extended family and then they had three children and two of them died mm. and then her husband died very suddenly they were living in burma uh, because he was in the civil service mm-hmm. at the time and he wasn't feeling well one afternoon and he came back home and he died that night and she was overcome by grief she was she was just stricken and she went to bed she developed a heart condition and went to bed and, and she still had this one daughter deepa Mm-hmm. Um, Therese, so when the doctor came, this is Burma, the doctor said, you're actually going to die of a broken heart unless you do something about your mind. You should learn how to meditate. Mm. And so she got up and went off to the temple to learn how to meditate. And they said she was so weak that uh, the, the meditation room was like on the second floor and, and she was too weak to walk up the stairs. So she crawled and got up into the meditation room and then began her meditation practice. And when she came out of that course, she did find a a kind of strength of compassion for everybody, just this universal love and loving kindness that Mm -hmm. were the guiding principles of her life from Mm -hmm. from then on. And she was a a very important teacher for me and also is the person who told me to teach. So I kind of take my um, lineage in a way directly from her. Mm. And, and, you know, when, when again, when I saw you at the Tibet house, you sort of took us through a couple of different meditations. And the last, was it the last one or the second to last one, I think, was the loving kindness meditation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it just sort of struck me and in doing some research for the show that I didn't realize that there were different kinds of meditations. And I guess maybe different philosophies or even different kinds. So can you kind of speak to what, what you do and maybe why you do the meditations that you do? Because these mm-hmm. are things that I just really had no idea. I just thought, like, all meditation was just, you know, the same. Like, you're just sitting and you're just <laughs> silent. And I mean, this is how, because I, I guess naive I am, um, but I just didn't know. Well, I mean, there's no reason for you to know, really. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty intricate system. There's, yeah. They're just different ways of um, describing different methods or different techniques. Um, one way is to say that meditation is really like a skills training. And while any one method may develop many skills, sometimes it more emphasizes one or another. Mm-hmm. So you'll find a lot of similarities and also some distinctions between different styles. So one of the skills we say we develop is concentration, which is the ability to gather our sometimes kind of wild, scattered energy, you know, being distracted, being all over the place, and and really settle our attention. So uh, in that style of meditation, you might choose an object like the feeling of the breath, or it could be the loving-kindness phrases, Mm -hmm. or a mantra, or an image, or sound. It could be really anything. And you rest your attention on that object, usually to discover, like, wow, it's not 9,000 breaths before my mind wanders. It's like two. Right, right, right. That you're off and running somewhere, and, and what you need to practice is gently letting go and coming back, and gently letting go and coming back. And over time, there there gets to be a much greater strength of presence and steadiness of attention. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, I, they're, go ahead. oh, no, go. I was just going to say, I think it was like so powerful when you said like you're going to wander off and that's OK mm-hmm. and that it's OK to come back, because I think a lot of people, myself included, feel like as you're trying to sit and concentrate on your breath, you're sitting there and you're like, boy, I could be doing the laundry. I should be cleaning mm-hmm. my house. I should be reading this book. I should be treating another patient. And instead of, and so I thought once you wandered off, it was like, that, that's it. The meditation's over. You can't, right. you know. And, and it really helped me to hear you say that. Well, that's one of the great, great um, ways that the meditation practice comes right into our life was, is because letting go and beginning again is such a powerful mm-hmm. tool in life. We mm-hmm. make a mistake and we can begin again more gracefully or we stray from our chosen course and we can start over again yeah. with a better humor and we don't get so lost or bogged down in judging ourselves and berating ourselves, which just takes up a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's uh, it's a very powerful skill all in and of itself. And Often on top of that, we build in the the other skill of mindfulness or another skill of mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is having a much more open and interested awareness in our experience, whether it's sensations in our body or emotions or thoughts or whatever it is mm-hmm. that we uh, we learn how to see anew in a way so that we're not so constricted by, say, the habit of projecting into the future. Maybe there's physical pain and right away we start thinking what's it going to feel like next mm-hmm. week what's mm-hmm. it going to feel like next month and yep so we're on top of what's already a, a difficult situation we're adding all of that anticipated pain and we're trying to bear it all at once often feeling defeated or overcome and so one of the things we say about mindfulness meditation is that we look for the add-ons what are we adding on to this moment just through force of habit and what happens if we can relinquish that a little bit and look more carefully at our direct experience. Yeah, and and I'd like to, we're going to take a quick break, but I'd like to talk more about, about that and also um, kind of how that mindfulness meditation really affects what's happening in the brain. So we'll be right back with Sharon Salzberg. So everybody stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you need a business plan that can guide your company's growth? Covenant 7 will help bring the changes you need. We are small business consultants and we pay attention to the details you may miss. Our coaching and consultant services are guaranteed to lead to right growth for your business. Call us at 917-833-4860 for a no-obligation free consultation. Check out our website at www.covenant7.com. Are you fed up with talking points rhetoric? Everywhere you turn, it's left or right spin, ideology, no reality. In fact, it's ideology over intellect. No more. It's time for the truth. Join me, Larry Sharp, a.k.a. The Neo Sage, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11 Eastern, for the Ivory Tower radio program. In the Ivory Tower, we'll discuss what's important to you, society, politics, business, and family. It's provocative talk for the realist and the skeptic who want to know what's really going on, what does it mean, and what can be done about it. So gain special access to the Ivory Tower 
Listen to me, Larry Sharp, your Neo Sage. Tuesday nights, 9 to 11, New York time. Go to ivorytowerradio.com for details. That's ivorytowerradio.com. The Ivory Tower is a great place to visit for both entertainment and education. Listen in, Tuesday nights, 9 to 11. It will make you smarter. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and I'm joined today by Sharon Salzberg. She is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, and we are talking about meditation today. And now I'd like to get into uh, some of the science behind meditation. So, so Sharon, you know, I listened to your TED Talk that you did at the TEDx in Binghamton, and, and you mm-hmm. definitely talked about meditation and how it relates to plasticity of the brain and that neuroplasticity, which is so important because, you know, years ago, people used to think that once you got to the, uh, that adult age, your brain, it is what it is, and that's it. You know, that you're not going to have, you're not going to make these big changes. Um, but now we know that neuroplasticity exists well into adulthood. Well, it's, it's, I should say it always exists. Um, so how does meditation work uh, from a scientific point of view or from, from the brain's point of view? Well, I'm not a scientist. Right, you know, right. So no, I, I know. Only, yes. um, and I think one of the most exciting things, of course, is this idea of neuroplasticity mm-hmm. because when I was younger uh, <laughs> and in school, uh, we were taught that there was no such thing, that past right. a certain age, say in your 20s, that neurons would not regenerate, that the structure and function, the circuitry of your brain was fixed, and unless something, you know, terrible happened, in which case it was just a one-way street to change, it wasn't going to change for the better. Mm -hmm. Neuroplasticity, which is this incredible discovery about just how plastic the brain is Mm -hmm. through training, through environment, uh, through exposure, um, is an enormous thing, And, Mm -hmm. and the scientists are... Uh, it's really like just in its beginning stages. Sure, Sarah yeah. Lazar at Harvard did yep. a number of studies on yep. meditators and discovered that the gray matter of one's brain actually thickens, so that's a good thing. A number of studies have been done showing the amygdala, which is sometimes called the fear center, mm-hmm. um, shrinks. So that's also a good thing. Some right. Some people describe the kind of emotional reaction that, often leaves us with regret because it's not balanced as being an amygdala hijack, mm-hmm. you know. So the the tendency to get overcome um, in that way will be reduced. The hippocampus is said to extend uh, memory centers, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Barbara Fredrickson in University of North Carolina is doing a lot of study using loving-kindness meditation in particular and the vagus nerve and mm. showing that um, there's, a, there's a big correlation. There, there's just the beginnings of studies being done showing the effect of loving-kindness meditation and uh, the length of telomeres, which affects aging. You know, mm. so there's, there's like mm-hmm. a whole huge world, mm-hmm. which is really just beginning. Yeah, and I feel like... 
you know, meditation is, I guess, I don't know if you could say more and more in the mainstream. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot more attention to meditation, whether it be in the news or, you know, I was watching a news clip yesterday. I think it was from last year or the year before looking at children meditating Mm -hmm. so that, you know, they can learn to sort of calm themselves down or sort of calm their mind, calm their bodies a little bit. And, you know, it's not like a child is sitting there for 20 minutes, you know, but it's enough that and and all the children really loved it. And these kids were maybe like eight or nine years old. I know. I saw a news clip of a little girl. She was maybe five years old and uh, they were doing mindfulness exercises in her school, including having what they call a peace corner where a kid can go if they're very distraught, if they're very upset and just kind of chill out and. Uh, so she was so cute. She was like five or six years old, and she said, "Mindfulness is the best thing in my life so oh, far." Oh my god, that's so sweet! And I thought, me too. <laughs> I agree, and you know, I just think, you know, I'm as you know, I'm a physical therapist, and so I see a lot of patients with chronic pain issues, and and you know, the areas that you were talking about, sort of the hippocampus, the amygdala, and even the the prefrontal cortex and and Mm -hmm. those parts of the brain are all affected um, positively by meditation. And these are all also parts of the brain that we know are involved in sort of a pain neurotag or a pain neurosignature. Mm -hmm. So it only makes, one can then hypothesize that meditation will help those in pain. You know, and and I'm sure I, I I don't know of any studies offhand that have shown meditation as it correlates to pain, um, but I know that there are researchers in Australia that are sort of um, really trying, really focusing on this as as mm-hmm. an adjunct to our treatment. So I guess my question is for you: Is do you get people that maybe come to you with painful problems that are looking to meditation? Uh, well, definitely. I think there is one study. I don't know where it was published. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, conducted by uh, Richie Davidson at the University of Wisconsin at Madison mm-hmm. by his lab. Um, so I don't know if he was the principal investigator or someone else at the lab, but I was on a panel once mm-hmm. with him and Matthew Ricard, who had been one of their main subjects. Matthew is a, a Buddhist monk um, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and he was also a scientist. So. Mm. He's often used as a collaborator on experiments to try to design them in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Dalai Lama, and anyway, this is the panel, and, and Richie was describing the results. And, and as far as I can recall, it had a lot to do with the anticipatory cycle, that meditators were showing the same response to pain as non-meditators, but what would happen would be that that kind of heightened response would get relinquished mm-hmm. in yeah. the meditators. Yeah. And in the non-meditators, they would just be staying in a state of anticipation, like when's the next bout, when's the next hit, right, something right. like that. And uh, and that, of course, is a huge difference in one's sure. personal experience of a painful situation. Sure. And, and kind of even what you said uh, in the last segment where, you know, if you're thinking 
always kind of thinking ahead. Well, if I have this and I can't do this, I can't do this. And, you know, it's sort of like the catastrophization of your pain experience. Mm -hmm. You know, well, if I have pain now, well, you know, then I'm not going to be able to go to work. If I can't go to work, then I'm not going to be able to pay for my rent and I'm going to be homeless. I can't provide for my family. And these are things that really, truly go through people's minds. So to be able to use meditation to maybe harness that in and bring you more into the moment, I think is, is incredibly beneficial. Oh, I think it's enormous. So that would be really that fundamental principle of meditation. We look for what we might be adding on to the mm-hmm. moment's experience mm-hmm. that, in fact, might be making it worse. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I see that a lot. You know, I see a lot of the catastrophization and fear avoidance behaviors and things like that. And And so when I tell patients, you know, have you tried meditation? You know, there are... You can, I say you could go to the Tibet house. You can go to different websites. There's free meditations all over the web. Um, but what a lot of people say is, well, I don't have time. I, don't, I can't sit for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you get this also. So what, is your, what would your response be to that person who says, well, I, don't, I can't sit for 20 minutes. I've never meditated. How can I sit for 20 minutes? Because I think it's well, a preconceived notion. <laughs> You could start with five, yeah. many people do. Yeah. Um, I think the everydayness of it tends to be a more significant factor than the duration. Mm-hmm. Any single experience, any single session. But um, it's, it's an interesting thing to look at anyway in general because if somebody were saying to me, you have to do this thing for four hours a day before you see any kind of result, mm-hmm. then... That would be a very reasonable hesitation. Like, I don't have four hours. (laughs) But you think about that, 20 minutes? Wow. Yeah. Uh, You know, is it that we feel it's selfish, that it's too self-centered, we can't take the time for ourselves, our to-do list is too huge, or we think we have to sit in a certain bizarre posture, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uncomfortable, or that... Uh, that we have to demand our thoughts stop, that we have to have a totally blank mind, and what idea do we have of of what's expected of us in that 20 minutes? And sometimes those concepts, those ideas we carry around are are quite off the mark, and it's Mm -hmm. more relaxed and more easeful and even more fun than we might have imagined. You can sit in any posture. Um, you don't have to make your mind blank. You know, the whole idea is relating differently to things, not wiping them out. Mm. So so it, it can be okay. And if you can't do 20 minutes, maybe you can do five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I have one more question before we go for another break. But And this was a question that I got on Twitter from Pete on Twitter said, is it crucial, and I think this goes with what we're saying, but is it crucial that one begin one's day with a meditation? He has found caffeine a meditation challenge. So is it crucial that you start your day, or can you meditate at any point during the day? You can meditate at any point. And really, is... I'm, yeah, and the other th- question is, is do you have to meditate at the same time every day? So, like, if you can't do it in the morning, let's say you can do it in the afternoon, does it always have to be around the same time in the afternoon? No, it really doesn't. Uh-huh. I think I know that finding, even though on one level it sounds amazing, I know that finding that 20 minutes or even 10 minutes is uh-huh. awfully difficult for us for a whole variety of different reasons. So people ask me, 
questions all the time, like should I sit in the morning or should I sit in the evening? Mm-hmm. Should I sit alone or should I sit with others? Should I sit or should I lie down or should I walk? Because um, there are lots of postures in which one can do meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, should it be the same time every day? Should it be the same place every day? And I always respond by saying it depends on what works for you. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to make it real. It's one thing to have it in one's mind. That would be awfully good to do. I bet that would help. Mm -hmm. So many times, like my last book, um, as you said, was called Real Happiness, and it's a a guide to meditation. So many times people come to me and say, I'm buying your book for my cousin. I could never do it. Mm. It's like we always think, well, the other guy can do it. I can't. And and I know it's so hard. So I always say you have to do what's going to help you make it real. Mm Mm-hmm. So that you're not thinking only about your cousin, you're not thinking only about tomorrow. I'll start, in, you know, when I get to a quieter place, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But how am I going to make it real right now? And if that means sitting in the morning, try to sit in the morning. If it means sitting at a different time each day, sit at a different time each day. Um, you just have to see what's going to be supportive to you. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. And we're going to take a quick break, um, and we'll be right back with Sharon Salzberg. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. Hi, I'm Austin Marola. And I'm Sloan Wainwright. We're the hosts of the new Thursday morning show, The Music Power, Power Hour, at 11 a.m. We're going to have fun. And shine the light on all aspects of music. And it's limitless healing possibilities. We're going to invite artists to share their songs and play live. We'll be listening and talking about great music from yesterday to today. So you're invited to share in our musical conversation. Your ears will be delighted with the sound of music. And our voices. Join Austin and Sloan live Thursdays at 11 a.m. on TalkingAlternative.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Sharon Salzberg. She is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Real Happiness, The Power of Meditation, a 28-day program. And today we're talking about uh, medication. Oh, boy, where's my head going? Meditation. Um, And so, Sharon, now I have um, a couple of uh, kind of an interesting question also from Twitter, and this is from Claudia. And 
she said that so many emotional distractions have begun to surface when I sit to meditate. And how do you address them and how do you move through them? And I think a lot of people probably have that this issue. So I think it's kind of important to address. Well, certainly one of, one of the things that happens anyway when we meditate is is that through the force of that introspection, many things arise. We're not so distracted anymore. Uh, we're not so overcome with responsibility. We're not so busy multitasking. And so many, many things will come up, many beautiful, wonderful, uh, extraordinary feelings, many challenging, difficult, and kind of tumultuous feelings will come as well. And so... Uh, the first thing is to remember that none of that is wrong. It doesn't mean you're doing badly and that these things shouldn't happen. It's inevitable that they happen. It's fine, and it's even good. And that we define mindfulness meditation as developing a different relationship to everything. So when pleasant and wonderful things come up, we try to be with them fully without holding on and uh, trying to keep them from changing. And when painful and difficult things come up, we try to transform our relationship to them so that we're not adding on the things that make them worse, you know, shame and guilt mm-hmm. and uh, pressure and, and projection into the future. And even with neutral and ordinary things, the kind of repetitive, uh, routine, unexciting things that, that come up, like just a breath, something like that, we try to actually wake up and connect more fully and completely to them so as to enjoy them rather than just be bored or or dismissive. And so we work with everything. And so one of the things we'd say right away is if it's a strong emotion, see what's happening in your body. How is it manifesting in your body? You know, your shoulders getting tense, is your heart pounding, is your stomach clenching? Just to do a kind of investigation, like how is it in my body? And then we kind of hang out with the mood itself or the emotion with mm. You know, noticing the add-ons, seeing if we can let go of them, coming back to what we're actually feeling, and and looking inside that feeling. It's not why is it there or how am I going to get rid of it or how am I going to strengthen it, but mm-hmm. what is it? If we're taking a look at anger, for example, we might see lots of moments of sadness and fear and helplessness and all kinds of things. And so we get a much deeper understanding of the nature of anger because we realize it's not just one thing. And we get a much deeper understanding of the nature of change Mm because we see, oh, even this emotion, which I have felt to be so so difficult, so oppressive, it's coming and going all of the time. Mm. Oh yeah, no, I'm just thinking about that. Yeah, no, I think that's 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 great. That's such such a good answer and such a good way to address that because I know that happens to me a lot. And so as you were saying that, I'm kind of going through in my head. If you were in the studio, you'd see me nodding. I'm nodding. (laughs) That's what's going on right now. I'm thinking and nodding. Um, Okay. Another thing that um, uh, I that I think is interesting and where I think meditation is, is again really flowing through society is I know that uh, through Ariana Huffington just had a, a conference, the third metric conference. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, that you write for the Huffington Post and that third metric conference was sort of redefining success. So going beyond just money, but really looking into 
happiness and to the well-being of your life. And and I know you said in the beginning, you know, meditation can really help to bring happiness, can make you happy. I mean, Mm -hmm. studies have shown that, that it can make you happy. So if you're, you know, in the the looking at happiness how i guess if you're meditating every day or if you're just getting into this meditation i mean is that do you want to have the expectation of i'm going to be happier or do you want <laughs> do you know what i mean because i feel like well if meditation makes you happier then why wouldn't everyone be meditating or i need to meditate to make me happy do you know what i mean And is that sort of the wrong way to enter into a reason why you would be meditating? Well, I think it depends also on how you define happiness. If you Mm -hmm. think that meditation is going to make you feel only pleasant things, then you're going to be very quickly Uh disappointed. Okay. You're going to give up really fast. Yeah, yeah. And, And, you know, what's... So I guess, you know, what would your advice be to someone who let's say they are kind of started meditating and it, like you said, it doesn't always, you know, bring up feelings of happiness. Do you just say, you know, keep pushing on, keep going forward? Cause I know a lot of people would say, Oh, well, I guess it didn't work for me. Well, I think that's one reason why it's either good to work with a teacher mm. or to have a community or just to keep reading, keep mm-hmm. reading, keep listening to tapes because, um, you know, there are ways of talking about happiness, so it's not even a feeling, mm. but mm. it's a much stronger sense of connection so that if I'm... I had one teacher, for example, a Burmese meditation teacher, who used to say things to me like, try to be mindful every time your hands are in water. So that's washing dishes, washing uh-huh. my face, uh-huh. whatever it might be. And that was an example of taking a really routine, ordinary, unexciting experience yeah. and having it come alive because I was paying attention mm-hmm. instead of being totally disconnected from what I was doing in the moment and just lost in something else. Mm-hmm. So was I happier? Yes, I was much more connected. I actually enjoyed the feeling of my hands in water, which I've been missing routinely. Yeah. Um, and this is why we look for ever-increasing levels of stimulation, because we're not with the small things and the subtle things. Mm-hmm. We're caught in this kind of intensifying cycle. Mm-hmm. And so um, we that's one thing. And then uh, what about when we are enjoying something, and it's delightful, and it's wonderful, and right away we start thinking, how am I going to keep this? Right. I'm going to make sure I have it next week, too. We we can see directly that buying into that thought actually doesn't increase our enjoyment. It threatens our enjoyment in that moment. Mm-hmm. So when we notice that thought, can we practice letting go? That'll make us happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right away. Definitely. And then, of course, there are all those painful times physically or emotionally mm-hmm. or mentally, whatever it might be, where just through the force of habit, we may be exacerbating the suffering and making it so much worse. So it doesn't mean that we're going to find the pain just so nice or anything like that, but it's so much better Mm -hmm. than when we're adding on all of those other levels of difficulty, and so that'll make us happier too. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And do you have, this was a question from Erica, do you have 
any recommendations on good guided meditations to listen to? Because she said without finding some guidance, since she's a beginner, she tends to lose focus. Uh, there are many. Yeah. Um, in my book, Real Happiness, mm-hmm. uh, there's a CD. Oh, cool. And that has guided meditations on it. So I did a, a range of them, the breath and loving kindness mm-hmm. and I think walking meditation is on there. They're, you know, they're all written in the book, but they're, they're a selection of them that are mm-hmm. on the CD. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and there are just so many. I know. There's so, uh, I know, I, I know. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, you know, when, when I saw you at, at the lecture at the Tibet house and you did the loving kindness and, you know, you sort of started like, you know, do a loving kindness for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, what was so interesting was the person that I, I said, okay, you know, I'll do my loving kindness for so-and-so. And like literally the next, and I haven't talked to this person in maybe like a month or so, the next morning she sent me an email mm. to sort of see how I was doing and she was thinking of me and I thought, whoa, like, yeah, that, that's nice. I'm kind of <laughs> freaking out about this right now. <laughs> like, what just happened? And and so I told her, I said, oh, you know, I just did a loving kindness meditation last night with you in mind. And it was just, you know, very, very, I don't, I don't even want to say it's not like, oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> but, you know, I thought that was really interesting and. And uh, so I've actually been doing the loving kindness meditation more so than any other, because I Mm -hmm. feel like that was a way, because sort of repeating those mantras that you had suggested Mm -hmm. is a much easier way for me to kind of, to focus and not let my mind wander off to, I have to go to the dry cleaners, I have to go shopping and I have to feed my cat. That's great. You know, so I thought that that, for me, and like you said before, you know, everybody is so different. And if you're not good at one form, it doesn't mean that you suck at meditating. Oh, no, absolutely. You know, you know really. And, and that there are options, which I did not know until I, I went to hear you speak. And then I went again a couple of weeks later um, to hear another, another guy, and I can't remember his name. Anyway... Um, he's, he's works with, uh, Joe Loiza with Dr. Loiza, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Miles. And Miles, yes, with Miles. And, and he was, you know, very interesting as well. And he said, you know, it's, if you're having a hard time, like you can count your breaths. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can count them. I didn't <laughs> know you were allowed to count them. And so, you know, that made it a little bit easier too, because I didn't realize you were allowed to do that. You know, I thought you just uh, had yes, to. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I did not realize that. And you know, even when when I saw you, and and this is sort of another, I feel like meditation cliche, um, but you know, like looking for like the bright light or the golden light or the mm-hmm. silver light, or and, and you were like, it doesn't matter what the light is, nor if you have to picture light. Like you don't have to do that. And I was like, oh. Okay, so so it just made it a little bit more doable and a little bit less daunting and scary. So I thank you for that, and and Miles as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So anyway, that's coming from like a true beginner. And I know that I had all these sort of meditation cliches. Like I thought you had to sit on the ground with your legs crossed and your fingers together on your knees, you know, all that stuff. And it's like so refreshing to know that it doesn't have to be that rigid. It's true. Well, those cliches really hurt us because yeah. so many of us hold them and and then we think, oh, I failed. I, heard, I hear that comment so yeah. often. Yeah. I say to people, I'm a meditation teacher. Of course, way back when I used to hear, ooh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, or occasionally I would hear, this is like in the 70s, I'd hear, oh, did you meet the Beatles when you went to India? <laughs> I'd say, no, sadly, I didn't. They went before me. Um, and then... Commonly, I hear these days, after I believe all the research and yeah. and the science, I hear, oh, you teach meditation. I could use some of that. I'm so stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. But I also hear, oh, I tried that once. I failed at it. Yeah. And that's, of course, of great concern to me because then I think, oh, you had some idea, most likely, about what you're supposed to be experiencing and you didn't have precisely that experience, but mm-hmm. you can't fail at it, really. Yeah, and that's really good to know. And we're gonna, on that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to kind of wrap things up. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in your business or career? Trying to take your business to the next level and it keeps hitting a wall? This is Sam Leibowitz, the Conscious Consultant. I will help you get to the root cause of your abundance issues and help move you forward in your life. Call me now and let's create the future you dream of. 212-721-8183 That's 212-721-8183. The Conscious Consultant, helping conscious people be better business people. Have you ever considered consulting a roadmap when you feel you need help getting to your destination? When the normal path seems blocked, a little help can come in handy when choosing an alternate route. Your natal chart is a map of your potentials. It addresses relationships, finance, business, health, and above all, creativity. Current planetary cycles can either support or challenge your objectives. I'm Montgomery Taylor. If you would like to explore the help of a private astrological reading, please contact me at monty at montytaylor.com. That's monty, M-O-N-T-Y, at montytaylor.com. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. And welcome back to Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I'm your host, Karen Litzy. I'm joined today by Sharon Salzberg. She is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. She's an author and a teacher of meditation. And we've been, you know, the last segment, I feel like I was 
getting all my beginner questions answered, be- meditation for, for beginners, um, and kind of breaking through some of the meditation cliches. And Sharon, during the commercial break, we were talking here in the studio and you know, we were saying other sort of cliches like, do I have to burn incense? Do I have to sit on a pillow? Do I have to have a Buddha in front of me? You know, all of this stuff. Because like so-and-so said, I need to buy a meditation pillow. So I can't meditate until I buy that pillow. <laughs> you know, and these are all things that, you know, you're laughing. They're obviously not true. No, no, they're certainly not true. Any of them. You don't have to leave anything. You don't have to like limber up. You don't have to sit in a certain posture. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't have to, although you may want to buy that meditation cushion. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's really up to you. Uh-huh. You can sit on your couch if you want. And uh, there is also walking meditation, which is a perfectly fine form of meditation. Mm-hmm. There's even lying down. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, with lying down, you might fall asleep. Fall asleep. But yeah. certainly if you've got an injury or mm-hmm. there's some physical reason why lying down is better, then there, there are ways of working with energy so that you're more wakeful than not. So um, it's all good. Yeah, and and here's a question, I think uh, kind of an interesting way to start to begin to wrap things up, but like I said earlier, I'm a physical therapist, and I have a lot of therapists and trainers in yoga and and those type of people that listen to the show, and and one thing that, this was a good question from Evangelos, um, he would like to know, how how can we as physical therapists best explain the meditation, the benefits of meditation to a patient in like a couple of minutes? So how would you best explain meditation's benefits? I would say it helps people get more focused, more present, and uh, transforms our relationship to um, the difficulties that we're feeling and uh, to everything that we find in life. And that's it. Short and sweet. And how... What about what advice would you have, let's say, to me as a physical therapist, integrating meditation into my plan of care or into, you know, I, I like you said earlier that, you know, the every day is better than the duration. So is that a good place for me to start kind of maybe bringing this up to a patient? Should I? refer them to guided meditations or to, you know, what's the best way to incorporate that coming from, from someone who's not a meditation teacher? Mm-hmm. I think uh, all of those are great suggestions. I would mm-hmm. say if you can encourage people to set aside five to ten minutes a day, uh, up to 20 minutes in the end, you know, for a more formal session, but mm-hmm. also uh, even during a, a physical therapy session in the beginning to take some time just to breathe mm-hmm. and to keep coming back. To, I'm sure you do this in so many different ways mm-hmm. to encourage mindfulness, to encourage balance, to encourage breathing Yeah, yeah. during which the is, actual yeah. session. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good way to kind of incorporate. So start incorporating the breath into the sessions. That's good. Yeah, and, you know, because I, I, like I said earlier, you know, we get so many people with painful conditions, and meditation is such a powerful tool, I think, to help those people. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, like, I, I always sort of throw it out there, but I guess maybe I throw it out a little casual, too casually versus <laughs> saying, do you know what I mean? 
versus really making it part of like their homework, part of their home exercise program. And so to be able to, you know, perhaps refer to your book and say, listen, you get the book, there's a CD in there. How easy is that? You know, because I think a lot of people need that guidance when they, I, I think everyone needs guidance, especially when they first start. Mm-hmm. I think guided meditations are, are really good, certainly in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a way of easing the anxiety people have about all kinds of things. Like, how do I know when it's over? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I kn- it's funny you should say that because the last time when I was at the Tibet house with Miles and we were going through meditation, part of me was thinking, how long have I been sitting here? <laughs> Is this almost over? Are we almost there yet? Is it almost done? Because it was long. You know, it was like we meditated. There was like four 20-minute sessions. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes, yes. It was really something. And I have to say, like, the last one, I was actually still. Like, because usually I'm, like, fidgeting or I'm, you know, kind of moving around. And that's another question. Like, if you feel like you're in the middle of a meditation and you need to move... Do you say to people, like, it's okay to move out of that position? Uh, Often. I mean, it depends. I mean, usually we encourage people to see why they want to move. Is Mm -hmm. it just because they're restless or Mm -hmm. is it because they're actually approaching some level of discomfort? And Mm -hmm. if it's discomfort, it's fine to move. Mm -hmm. If it's just because they're restless, then sometimes it's a great, although uh, somewhat difficult task, but... But it can be a great thing to not move just because you're antsy. Right, right. Yeah, I think that was my problem. Um, <laughs> I do. I think it was my problem. But, you know, I think for me, the the biggest takeaway from, from this discussion and from going the t- to the Tibet house is that the meditation, it's always a pra- you're always in practice. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's the, I feel like the big practice of it is when you wander to come back. And that's sort of the work. And, and that's sort of my biggest um, revelation, I guess, is that, you know, it, it takes practice and it takes work in order to, to meditate. I agree. And I, I think that beginning again, you know, having blown it in some way or wandered mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever it is and beginning again is, you know, my belief is that it's the the core value of anything you know I'm, I'm sure you in many ways tell clients that okay so you you didn't practice last week that doesn't mean it's all over you that's know? right yeah let's yeah. start again or you you made this mistake and mm-hmm. uh okay now we're going to begin again and you can't spend the next year lamenting the fact that you made the mistake because yeah. you're not going to get anywhere yeah you know, there's got to be an ability to let go and start over with some compassion for yourself. And I think it's the secret to success in everything. Yeah. And, and on that note, um, we are go- unfortunately have run out of time, but what a perfect spot to end it because that was a great, um, a great way to end the show. So, Sharon, people can find more about you at www.sharonsalzberg.com, and that's S-A-L-Z-B-E-R-G. Is that the best place if someone wanted to get in touch with you? Is that the best place to do that as well? 
Yeah, that's the best place. Yeah. And Sharon's also on Twitter, and it's at SharonSalzberg.com and at the Huffington Post to see some of your writings. I think something was just posted last week or earlier. Yeah, last mm-hmm. week, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great. And everyone, um, have a great week. Uh, start meditating and stay healthy, <laughs> wealthy, and smart. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you a female entrepreneur ready to break through? Join us at Sexy Body Sassy Soul, where women are empowered to ask for and receive what they truly want in love, life, and business. Tune in Thursdays at noon Eastern Time to learn tips and juicy secrets from inspiring women and men who dare to define their success. Get inspired, stay motivated, and define your version of joy and success with Sexy Body Sassy Soul every Thursday at noon New York Time on TalkingAlternative.com. Are you suffering from aches and pains? Has traditional medicine let you down? Are you tired of taking toxic medications? Then come to the Double Diamond Wellness Center and learn how our natural methods can help you to heal. Call us now at 212-721-8183. That's 212-721-8183. Or find us on the web at www.doublediamondwellness.com. We look forward to serving you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. This is Tony Martinetti, the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Technology, fundraising, compliance, social media. Small and medium nonprofits have needs in all these areas. My guests are expert in all these areas and more. Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern, on Talking Alternative Broadcasting. Are you concerned about the future of your business or career? Would you like it all to just be better? Well, the way to do that is through better communication. And the best way to do that is training from the team at Improving Communications. This is Larry Sharp, host of the Ivory Tower Radio Program and director at Improving Communications. Does your office need better leadership, customer service, sales, or maybe better writing or speaking skills? Could they be better at dealing with confrontation, conflicts, and touchy subjects? All are covered here at Improving Communications. If you're in the New York City area, stop by one of our public classes or get your human resources in touch with us. The website is improvingcommunications.com. That's improvingcommunications.com. Improve your professional environment. Be more effective. Be happier and make more money. Improving Communications. That's the answer. TalkingAlternative.com 